0: So I'm not surprised that we've ended up both sitting on the fence uh, when we're talking about housing associations being developers or, or providers. Uh, but moving on to the next subject, and you mentioned this a couple of times as as well uh, as we've just been speaking there. So the third part, of the, you know social housing, September, are housing associations getting too big and is big, beautiful? Um, and the first word that springs to mind when I think of that is politics, because if you let something get too big you might get all these cries of, oh, it's a monopoly, and then, you know, things become less efficient. And, of course, we've discussed that in the last two episodes, that, you know, lack of efficiency is not a very good thing as well. Yep. But uh, I'll leave the floor with you, Neil. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on on whether housing associations are getting too big?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. And one, again, I'm going to try and have to have a foot in both camps. So I, I think straight off the bat, I- Don't think that being a small organization automatically means you're going to be a good organization. Um, Similarly, I don't think being a large organization is going to automatically make you a bad organization. There are arguments that potentially you get to a certain limit, and some in the sector kind of put that around 50 to 60,000, that it gets too big to manage effectively from kind of a high level point of view. But There are advantages and disadvantages of being the size that certain organisations are, but it comes down fundamentally to what your your values and your strategic objectives are as an organisation. That said, there are some very good examples of where being big is not a good idea. Um, Mentioned them before, but Clarion are an organisation that are in the news quite regularly at the moment for failures in their repairs service. And it's not necessarily to pick them out and pick on them, but they have been quite appalling. So let's use them as an example. Um, they have over 120,000 units. They are significantly spread, but predominantly London, South and Southeast. Um, they are an amalgamation of a number of organisations. So they went through a series of quite big mergers in order to get where they are, um, of organisations of similar kind of sizes. and. Certainly it would seem the uh eyes have slipped off the ball somewhere, um, in that they are regularly being found to have been uh of maladministration in terms of a judgment by the housing ombudsman. I was trying to find the right words there, but we'll go along with that. Um, and service failure items as well. Um so you don't tend to have those put against you unless something quite seriously has gone wrong um part of the social housing inquiry that is currently going on in house of commons was as a result of some of the issues that have been raised relating to some of their stock um quajo um who surname eludes me so deep apologies on that but he is known on twitter as quajo housing who was a, a student uh whose father passed away Whilst living in social housing had numerous outstanding issues with the quality of that property, has now become somewhat of a campaigner, Um, basically embarrassing housing associations and local authorities where they are providing poor quality um, social housing, particularly where disrepair is an issue. So be it cockroaches, be it mould, be it water flowing through electrics, um, he's been out there filming it, naming and shaming. And again, this is housing associations and local authorities, so it's not. Just some housing associations. A number of the housing associations that he raises are quite large organizations. And what from my personal view you're kind of seeing is a inability to effectively manage service provision Mm -hmm. um, and ineffectiveness in understanding how best to deliver services. Some of this will be historic. I think some of it's going to be system related. Um, If you think Most housing associations are small to medium enterprises. They will be using technology, particularly when it comes to the main databases for the uh, housing information, so housing management systems, the more technical term. Um, They don't necessarily talk to each other when you merge. Um, This can have a load of issues in terms of how you effectively run your services. You can be concurrently using different systems, telling you different stuff if you haven't got that system right. It feels like a number are kind of hitting a level in terms of stock that they can't, in fact, effectively manage that. And it's becoming an issue that you can't just get round by a lot of manual work and kind of putting your nose to the grindstone. So on the one hand, I think there is an argument that some large housing associations aren't performing where they should be under the new regulatory environment, that's going to come out very clearly because they're going to have to publish performance-related information. Um, They're going to be more susceptible to proactive regulatory intervention, which will lead to further public divulging um, of where they're at from an organisational point of view. Um, But I think also we just haven't had the right people in the right positions to manage these services. Now, we're great as a sector at promoting from within. We pride ourselves in developing staff and putting time and money and effort into improving them. But sometimes you need to go out of sector in order to get the right people. And it's not that we don't, because a number of chief execs have had no experience working in the sector prior to moving over. But sometimes, in kind of head of service or maybe director level, group director, we haven't quite appointed the right people. And that starts to flow through in terms of their competencies and managing a highly complex and evolving. Situation. That being said, being small doesn't absolve you of any of those problems. It just means they're on a smaller scale and less obvious if things go wrong. Mm -hmm. So, if you have an ineffective housing service or an ineffective repairs service, where you own 50 units, if things go catastrophically wrong, you have 50 units you've got a problem with. If you own 125,000 units, like more or less Clarion does, and three percent of those gone catastrophically wrong you're already in a much far bigger numbers game um, so the likelihood of being brought to the attention of, of the wider world is higher more significant so there could potentially be an argument that we point the finger at larger housing associations because it's more, it's easier more likely to find failure in them than the smaller ones but at the same time I think there are very significant logistical system-based challenges that these organisations that are facing and frankly not succeeding at, which is why we're seeing some of the net results that we are.
0: I think on that, first of all, kudos to that chat that's going around name and shaming. I think that's mm. that's a very important thing to do. And I'm gonna tar, sorry, I'm gonna put social all housing, I'm gonna put in the same conversation here. Cause I think mm. it's you know when you look at say, private land or road landlords, as well um you know a lot of the sort of good law abiding you know landlords whether they're social housing whether they're private housing you know we try and do our best you know we don't mind a bit of regulation um i think there's probably normally a point where there's too much regulation i think that then you know can change the dynamic but yeah best example uh, i could think of is electrical safety test periodic electrical safety test great idea genius Absolute genius Totally agree with it. I have got an issue with that. Thumb up. Absolutely. Um, But, you know, sometimes it always does seem to be the case where, you know, you get all this regulation coming and, Mm. you know, the better housing associations or private landlords, et cetera, you know, try their best to keep up. But it always seems, whether it's a media thing, that when there's a slap on the wrist to be had, it's always those people that get the biggest slap on the wrist, whereas the more rogue people, businesses, seem to almost get away with a bit more. That That's my perception. Is that something you would tend to agree with from your experience or disagree
1: with? It, it's interesting in the social housing sector. As you mentioned in a in previous podcast around regulation, there are certain things that the regulator just isn't able by law to get involved with and you would like to see. I think certainly had we been in the proactive environment that is coming from April 23, clarion would be in deep trouble um i I honestly can't see from an external point of view how they can't be um more generally i think there is a point where people just they do so much that it's almost like well how do you deal with it whereas it's easier just to get someone on a minor infringement and kind of put an enforcement notice placing there's some very interesting research actually on on the private rented sector in, in terms of how experience both for landlords and for tenants can vary so drastically between local authority because obviously regulation from the kind of enforcement point of view policing point of view is local authority based there is no national body as there is for social housing so if you live in warwickshire you might get one experience where if you live in sussex you might get another and you know certainly just from an end user point of view that can be very frustrating for, for social housing, ironically enough, even though there is a single regulator and a national one like that, you can have similar experiences. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it's frustrating wherever you see people not adhering to what they should be and others suffer as a consequence. Um, and I think naturally we are sympathetic to the, the little guy on those things, um, but you'd want to see a fair application of the rules and the law uh, as is required, I guess.
0: Perfectly understand why. I goes, uh, yeah, I don't have any sort of other comments apart to apart from to waffle on. Uh, I've have, I've have made a note here, uh, law of diminishing returns. So I'm sure you're familiar with that. And to me, that uh, again, I think that highlights what we spoke about in the previous episode and what we'll speak about here. Is that more than likely there is going to be this sweet spot of amount of units owned where mm-hmm. You know that there is a number that's good. I remember ages ago, a couple of sources. The private landlords was, was the number nineteen. I, I don't ask me how they came to that number. I do not know, but it, it was yeah. along the lines of if you've got, you know, one one buy to let or you've got two buy to lets, and something does go horribly wrong in one of them. Mm. I mean, that could wipe out, you know, any profits across our whole portfolio. Whereas yes. if you then have too many units. And again, sorry, Clarion, hopefully, legal people aren't listening to this because probably the episode will get banned or something like that. Mm-hmm. Apologies. Um, but if you have 125,000 units, mm. you're going to have a lot of stuff going wrong. Whereas, yeah. uh, again, I think they worked out a formula where 19 was a sweet spot. Mm. Anyway, by the byte, law of diminishing returns. So if you,
1: mm.
0: and sorry to put you on the point, you don't have to ask mm. this if you don't want to, but if you, in an ideal world, what would you say from your experience would be a, a good number of units for a housing association to be able to, you know, effectively and efficiently manage?
1: Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I work for an organisation that had two and a half thousand units spread across Birmingham and the organisation I work for now is 46 to 48,000 units spread across a uh, hundred or more local authorities. Um, what I remember from working in the format is that you were always doing multiple jobs and you were always scrabbling around and no one was truly an expert. I mean, they were very smart, knowledgeable people and good at their job, but you had to have many hats on. I mean, my first job in the sector was as a business improvement and communications officer. Um, in layperson's terms, I was undertaking service area reviews. I was leading the complaints Um, service but I was also writing the staff newsletter updating the website and helping create content for the annual report Um, which you know great because your Monday your Tuesday your Wednesday Thursday and Friday were completely different but it's kind of an example of the multitude of roles that you need to do Um, I think you do need a certain level of size to enable specialism with specialism comes enhanced competency it's not that someone who's doing multiple things can't be competent they very much can but it enables you to have a greater focus on what you need to deliver and potentially deliver it more effectively it also shelters you from worse storms as you mentioned earlier you, know, you got a couple of units and one of them go sideways well then that's potentially you've done as a business mm-hmm. whereas if you can spread the risk you've got more of an opportunity to to ride out any individual issues that occur and this is purely a gut feel but somewhere circa 50 to sixty thousand units does feel like the right balance of size scope connectivity to locales and ability to do your job Um, the the sector does have to provide value for money um, uh, assessments each year Um, we have certain metrics that we have to Submit to the regulator on just to show where where we are, and nominally kind of show, you know, who the better, the more efficient performing organisations are. But it always comes out as a bit of a mixed picture because depending on the nature of stock, it has a massive impact. Again, the organisation I work for first, um, a large amount of their stock was pre-Victorian, or, well pre-1910, not pre-Victorian, so was Victorian. Um, which meant you spent a significant amount of money on repairs and maintenance because they absolutely, you know, weed out heat. They were pain to uh, maintain. For some reason, the procurement structures previously was just buy what was ever in, so there's no consistency or efficiencies on your stock because you can have one block with four different types of toilet system in it. Yeah, you know, all these nightmares that it, that you have. Um, in terms of being efficient. Um, But, you know, it it didn't do anything crazy in terms of development. It wasn't just, you know, burning cash left, right, and center on on frivolous things. It just had a deeply costly stock profile. Um, So there are external factors that can impact. Now, you could say, well, they could just sell that stock and move elsewhere. But if most of your stock is a profile and... It means you've drawn from the localities that you want to operate, in which are core to as a business. Well, to some extent, for intents and purposes, you, you kind of have to take that on the chin. So it can be a complex picture. But you do see the bigger errors coming through with those who are in ninety to 120,000. Again, whether that's just because of the law of averages um, or whether it's because they are genuinely not efficiently and effectively run and governable in the way that smaller organisations are. No, can't quite tell, but certainly fifty to sixty thousand feels like a, a good cap.
0: Just a little anecdote: we were talking about old Victorian properties. I remember someone ages ago saying to me that the um, that they're built so well, which, which is true. That her saying to me that they're built so well that even the Wi-Fi has to knock to ask if it can go into the room next door, just because of how you know <laughs> built like a brick house. They are um, solid,
1: yes, very
0: solid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. So, somewhere around fifty to sixty thousand would probably be the ideal number. We've yeah. also established that you can you know, you do have your bigger housing associations out yeah. there, and you know they're in hot water potentially moving forward. But you can also be in equally as hot a water, even if you've only got a few units at, at yeah. the other end of the scale and really you know there's a law of diminishing returns there and also like what you said about specialization I this Adam Smith was the first thing that come to my mind wealth of nations mm. the old pin example of you know yes. pin heads and all that sort of stuff so there is there are elements there um just tackling the second part of the question it is being mm. beautiful um I mean that can mean a multitude of things to a multitude of people and I'll drop you in here you're the one that suggested uh, that question so um it, what do you mean by is big
1: beautiful i think the key thing here is understanding is being big central to your aims so if you see your aim as going back to the other episode are you developer or provider you know if one of your core aims is to develop and to build as much social housing as you physically can per year grinding through whilst having a slightly stripped back service offer if that is beautiful to you then you know in the eye of the beholder great you know that's not a problem at all if beautiful to you is having really locally focused grounded organizations where you are central to that community almost becoming another arm of the welfare state which frankly to because of some of the reforms that have happened over the last decade or so has been the case for a number of organizations then your priority probably isn't building as many units as it is. It might be to build a few, might be to acquire a few, but actually you're going to shift your investment into that local community. So it'll be providing employment support services, mental health services, um, soft skills training, um, debt and management advice services. Um, That would be your core. So in that instance, big would not be beautiful. So it's a lovely casual phrase just to say that just as beauty is in the eye of the beholder, so is whether or not being a big organisation or a small organisation is. Um, so it, it's quite a nice term. It's one that sadly I didn't coin in terms of the sector it has been used for a while, but I do quite like it as a phrase. It, it, it covers a number of sins.
0: It's certainly fair to say that it's a, it's a good conversation piece as well because it will... You know spark debates and and whatnot going back to then the first part of the question uh, which is are housing associations getting too big i i must admit before we started recording i i would have said no that i don't think they're coming too big but actually having yeah, spent the last bit of time with you i'd be inclined to change my mind on that and say are they becoming too big? Yes, possibly. But then the devil's advocate on that, and it's just typical fence sitting. I'm sorry. I, I am sorry. The typical fence sitting is actually there's nothing wrong with being too big because if you're being run properly and you're adhering to everything that you need to adhere to and everything's running like clockwork, I appreciate that doesn't happen 100% of the time, but let's just say, you know, yeah, most yeah. things are tickety boo, then actually. There's nothing wrong with being the biggest housing association in England because if everything's being run properly, happy days.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, well, one hundred percent. Certainly, the approach I, uh, I kind of had, which does not always indeed me to, to everyone, but I think, yeah, if if you're well run, size is immaterial. Uh, the issue is that the bigger you are and the worse that you run, the bigger impact you're going to have on people um so that is where we, we have an issue i think probably part of the issues we're seeing in the sector is just the speed at which these new organizations have been created um and i would love there was an absolutely brilliant report that came out from the housing corporation prior to becoming the homes and communities agency which kind of looking at mergers between organizations and their impact which is a big part of my um, my undergrad thesis uh, i can't for the love no money find it really drives me nuts because it's gone to the national archives and it's disappeared but noticing the speed and frequency with which organizations have merged it is definitely increased since the year 2000 quite significantly um, and i think it's only ever going to go that way realistically Um, So if you're seeing at the moment organisations of this size showing quite significant growing pains, because that's what largely we're talking about here is an organisation's doubled in size and doesn't quite know its left arm from its right. So when you you see a a baby or a puppy trying to work out, oh, these are legs, what what are these doing? Um, The issue is it's not a puppy's legs that need to get themselves in order. It's a multi-billion pound organisation that is having people with raw sewage come up their toilet you know so big impact there but you need to balance it you need to understand you know what your appetite is but what you're able to take on and I think some of these organizations haven't done that and that's where I would be critical so instead of merging with a similar size organization merge with someone that's a quarter your size manage that change manage that growth and then you'll be in a better position um, because I think certainly from the likes of Clarion, maybe even to a smaller extent Peabody, where you've had very similar sized organisations kind of come together to, to be these behemoths, um, you, you are seeing the natural aches and pains of that growth and trying to assimilate different systems, processes, HR policies, repairs, policies, um, and, and fundamentally getting the data in one place where you can use it effectively to manage your, your, your processes. So yeah I would certainly think that as we kind of started with being big isn't necessarily a problem it's about being effective and that's immaterial to size in many ways
0: and that, that probably that comment probably doesn't just apply to housing as well so we, we've ticked a, a number of boxes <laughs> with that thank you for that that's um, no absolutely superb I mean I'm oh, sorry I laugh about that but actually that, you know that's quite an interesting point on, on a number of spectrums, uh, regardless so I think that summed it up, to be fair, Neil. Um, I, I have no other words to put on, on that.